Welcome to the On the Edge podcast with your host, Scott Groves. It's so good, right? Like you've never heard that before. Uh, So Scott Groves, the On the Edge podcast. I'm here with my buddy, Allison, who uh, I know from the real estate world. She's a top producing realtor at Normand and Associates here in Los Angeles. But most importantly, she has a background, a a bachelor's, a a master's in basically media and public affairs. And Allison and I have had some of the most fun, disagreeable political conversations. I would, I, I won't, I won't put words in your mouth, but I'm guessing you're more of a progressive liberal. Is that a fair label? And I, I never want to yes. proactively label people. So, yes. Yes. Progressive liberal. Yeah. What, what is that? Democrat. Let, Democrat. Perfect. Let's yeah. start there. What, what does that mean to you? Cause I want to dive into all the stuff media, okay. but I also, I also like to hear how people define their own labels because I feel like all the political labels have been bastardized over the last 50 years. Yeah. So tell us where you're coming from politically. So, um, I grew up in New York and, uh, ironically, I grew up on Long Island, which at the time when I was growing up, I thought it was like a very liberal place. In retrospect, that place is very, and I don't know if it's gotten more conservative over the years or if it always was conservative and I just didn't know because my parents were liberal. Um, My dad grew up in New York, you know, New York Jewish family. My mom um, actually grew up in the South in the 60s. Um, She went to like a segregated school. She, um, you know, she was there during all the civil rights stuff, um, and then moved to New York. She met my dad. Um, but anyway, they they were both, you know, Democrats, liberal Democrats. They not vote for Reagan. They, you know, all, all the all the things. Um, and so that's just kind of, but they weren't overly political in any way. You know, they weren't activists at all, um, but they were just sort of like standard Democrats. Um and it's funny because I, I can see now how their politics has gotten progressively more progressive in the same way that Hillary Clinton's politics have gotten progressively more because Hillary Clinton and my mom are the same age. And, you know, there was a time when I think cl- the Clintons were not, I mean, they he, you know, the Defense of Marriage Act and all that stuff. And I think my parents were not, uh, you know, there was a lot of like bias towards gay people and that was acceptable in in the Democratic Party, um, but now it's completely not, and it's it, they've evolved too in the same way. They also moved to Manhattan like 22 years ago, which I think kind of sped up their political, you know, progressiveness. So anyway, um, and then um, I moved. I went to college, and I moved to California. I moved to the Bay Area when I was in my early 20s. Um, like in the early 2000, in 2000. And so that was obviously a super progressive place. That was when I realized that like my upbringing, not as progressive as. um, Like Berkeley. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And so, um, you know, so anyway, and I was exposed to a lot of stuff there. And then I moved, I lived in DC. Then I moved back to DC to get my my master's in media and public affairs. And I was living in DC during the Bush years, which was like a really weird experience because I had just come from like super progressive liberal San Francisco. And then I was moving to DC, which is itself a hugely democratic city. But when a Republican is in power, it's like a very different vibe because all the Republicans like live there for this. You know, right. Cabinet positions. Yeah, and they're all like out restaurants and at bars and, and it's like all over the place. People come and they support the administration and they live there and sometimes they stay and sometimes they were only there for the time period. Um, so I met a lot of Republicans. Um, my best friend from college married a Republican. And I mean, and John, who, you know, my husband is like extremely progressive. Um, 
and we were friends with them. You know, I mean, Joe voted for Bush twice. I remember the election the second night and we were just, we couldn't believe it. And we kind of laughed and joked. Now I think back on those days, like the good old days when like you could vote for a Republican and it would be kind of like, oh, okay, we just have different views. Now it feels like, you know, we're like in two different universes because of, anyway, so what was I saying? So, and then I moved here like in 2008. So um, basically like Barack Obama had gotten elected. I, I voted for Obama in California. So I was in DC during the Bush years. I moved back to California right when Obama was elected and I've been here ever since. And I think, I, I think I, I realize now too, that like being in California has influenced my politics for sure. It's different, especially being in, in Los Angeles, in the city of Los Angeles, in Mount Washington, where I live, which is like a very, very progressive place. Um, and uh, I'm not exposed to people who have differing views. I think growing up, I, I went to school with lots of kids who were parents were Republicans, lots of kids whose parents were Republicans. And still, even now, the, those people are Republicans, people I went to high school with, um, even though they're, they're New York and all of that. But um, here, it's like, you're the only... Um, sort of Republican that I know. I'm the only, I'm the only non-progressive that you yeah. know. I mean, still, I probably have cut a lot of those people out of my life, sadly, after the Trump years. I have a cousin who's really conservative um, and it's been hard on social media with her, but um, you know. And you know, I want to go back to your parents because I think that's interesting. I th I'm guessing your parents growing up 70s, 80s, you know, Democrats, that's kind of what Republicans would now call back and hearken to like, oh, the good old days when there was blue dog Republicans yeah. and like we could kind of get along and we could kind of find some common ground on whatever immigration yeah. or putting warning labels on CDs was like a was like yeah. <laughs> was like a uh, Tipper Gore and I think the Republican governor. It was about, of, it was about the finance. It was about money. It was about right. taxes. So like both my uncles are Republicans, you know, they have a lot of money. My, my one uncle has a lot of money. And so being a Republican was like in his best interest. Right. Um, and it made, made sense. He doesn't want to have high taxes. And, and there were other things. I mean, I remember getting into, into debates with him about, um, abortion, you know, cause I, I would say, how could you be a Republican? Um, and, and, you know, basically his feeling was like, I don't think about that because if someone in my family needs to have an abortion, I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll take care of it. If it's illegal, it's not, you know, almost like the, you know, <laughs> people who have money can kind of create their own reality. Um, but also just about, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think so much has gotten, and, and I, I don't think Democrats are immune to this, but I think so much has got, has become about, um, you know, culture wars and, and, and cultural and values. Right. And so that is what is tearing country apart. And the, and the reason why that's happening, I think is because, um, because we have become, separate people basically we live here on the coast we have a booming economy we have you know people who have money people who have um resources people their jobs there's um you know a, a, like a government that's kind of like looking out for people 
most part. And then there are people who live in, you know, wherever in a small town and somewhere rural where they may not even have Wi-Fi, let alone a job or access to college or money for, you know, anything. Um, and so they're like, and we're progressing, right? People at the coasts and in the big cities are, are progressing. We're getting, you know, we've got people like Elon Musk and we're driving electric cars and we're doing all this crazy technology stuff. And then there are people who are like, it's almost like they're living in a third world country in comparison to us. And these are like two totally different realities um, that are existing in this country that it, it's, it's, it's toxic. You know, those people have completely different priorities and have different needs than us and and the and the people who have like more education, more money, more resources, you know, better jobs are the ones who are making the decisions, um, which is you know, and and it's not it's it hasn't really um, hasn't transitioned. I mean, if you look at Congress, it's like a bunch of old white men essentially, you know, <laughs> the Senate anyway. Do, do you feel, because I, I feel like we're starting to see this more and more in LA where it's the tale of two cities where, you know, you and I work in an industry where we see the people that are still making, you know, big bucks, over a quarter of a million dollars a year. They can afford a quote unquote starter home that's right. a million bucks. You know, that's that, I feel like that's one half of LA. And then the other half of LA is either, you know, representative by our booming homelessness population or, you know, those people that work in the service industry yep. the last year that are just scraping to stay alive. You yeah. know, it's like, you know, par part of me is like, what what is $1,400 in stimulus gonna do? And then part of me is like, no, there's half of LA that really needs $1,400 to, to yeah, buy groceries. Not, if you're not, uh, I mean, if you're an immigrant and you don't have legal status, you're not even getting that $1,400. So, so it's not, I mean, you know, this is another problem, which is is that we have an immigration problem in this country where we're not like, you know, there's, there's, there's like a whole shadow like population who are like living in the shadows because, you know, their kids can't really go to college because they are not entitled to scholarships and other, I mean, some, I think some California universities do that, but there's just all these things that they can't access because they're not officially citizens and they, and they, but they don't know another country because they've never been into another country. Um, and the, and the thing that's so crazy to me is that this is, this is the story of America. I mean, right. Like my, my ancestors came over here from Eastern Europe, whenever 1800s had nothing, you know, lived in a tenement with God knows how many people probably getting typhoid or whatever. I don't know. Right. And, and, you know, now we're here. And part of that is because we have white skin and, and that has made our ability to, to assimilate into American society much easier and with much less discrimination, even being Jewish or being an immigrant or whatever. Um, and, uh, I think that's, I think that's another part of discussion, which is that, there is this, we're at like a pivot right now in our society where immigrants and people of color are are actually in a place where they're, you know, where they're more equal than they've ever been, right? Because at any point in history, we're like the most progressive we've ever been, essentially. Like we're more progressive now than we were 10 years ago, even just because, right? So, and that is... Um, I think that that ha that is stirring up a lot of um you know a lot of racism in this country for people who um like people who do not recognize that like having white skin 
has afforded them a certain level of privilege because I think there's this misconception that, well, I, my family was poor and we, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I started here and now I own a company and now I own a house and I can do this for my kids. Well, why, why were you able to do that? It's not just because you worked really hard and you achieved the American dream. It's because you're white and you didn't face the same kind of discrimination that someone who's Mexican or and an immigrant or someone who's black in this country has and has to suffer. And, and because of that, you know, you've be you're, you're able to create institutional wealth. I mean, fa family wealth that you can pass on. And if you have, have that first like two three generations um you know that's that's a privilege that most people of color don't have and that is that just gets compounded right it's like my grandparents did fairly well and they left money to my parents who will leave money to me and i'll leave money to my parents and i own a house and that money will go to my kids and so on and so on and so on right but if you're in a position where you're you know you don't have you haven't had access to that right because because of racist real estate laws, you know, um, redlining, all kinds of shit, right? That, that I mean, we could get into the whole, all that stuff. Um, you've never had the opportunity to access that. So it's not like, it's not like people who are poor in this country start off on the same foot. I think that is like the biggest misconception. And honestly, I don't know how we get past it. I, 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 I mean, more, or people have to understand like what is it that that the discrimination towards like non-white immigrants and black people in this country and and indigenous people um is like it goes it's it's embedded in every institution it's embedded in education it's embedded in infrastructure it's embedded in housing it's embedded in you know higher you know yeah higher education like everything healthcare um you know so so, so i i want to go back to a couple of things you said and, and kind of balance two thoughts the idea of of the privilege and and minorities in general having an unfair start and i kind of want to balance two two thoughts because one is Absolutely. If you were a Hispanic or black family in Berkeley or Santa Monica or where, pick, a, pick a community where you were kept out of buying a house in the community in the 60s, 70s, 50s, it's like you missed out on 20, 30, 40 years of massive wealth appreciation. So that is a that is a real thing. And that has lasting generational effects. And I'm wondering if you can see the other side of the coin where there's probably some Hispanics or black youth that are like, hey, that's really condescending for you to say, like, I can't make my own way and make my own wealth. It's like I'm trying to balance both those thoughts of like, yeah, there's some historical shit that really gave some people a. I'm not saying that they can't make it. Of course, right. they of course they can. We all can. We, right. You know, this is America. If there's a place to make it, this is the place. This right. is the only place. But to act like those things don't influence people's ability to accumulate and, you know, accumulate place in society and wealth and, and all of that. And, and just like, like, it's this misconception that like, you know, um, everybody like this is America and, you know, everybody has the same chance and we don't see color and we don't, you know, everybody's equal is bullshit. It's not, you're not, we're not equal. You know, we don't treat people equally. We don't look at the criminal justice system. We don't treat people equally, you know, like people who have money and can afford really expensive lawyers get off. And people who don't go to jail because they can't even go to trial because they'll never win. And then they're, you know, they do plea bargains to, you know, whatever. So, so, and then that, that all of those things, all of those small things that people sometimes 
like attached to individuals. Oh, well, that's just an anecdote. But these things compound and they, they, they influence communities, like whole communities, which then influence all the institutions in those communities and all the people and all the generations. So um, I just think like, you know, we have to acknowledge, we can't, you know, there are ways to, to remedy this, I think, that are probably far too progressive for most Americans to think about. Um, but I think the first step is like just acknowledging it, just acknowledging that like, yes, I have had a, I have been dealt a more fair hand because of the color of my skin and because of whatever X, Y, and Z, all the things I'm, I'm straight, you know, I like, whatever, I'm, I'm not uh, disabled. I, you know, I don't have severe mental health issues. Right. Like I'm not, I, you know, all, all the things. So yes, in that case, I'm, you know, more fortunate. You're more fortunate, more privileged, and you're able to, to take advantage of things that, you know, other people just can't access, even though they're there, you know, and, and, and part of that has to do with education and also has to do with just our ability to like, um, you know, our, our system is not set up to like look out for one another, really. It's like really, you know, people who work in social work and are, are like have jobs where they are, you know, helping people find housing or find know food or helping people navigate education or navigate healthcare. those people are paid like shit in this country teachers are paid like shit in this country if teachers were paid like doctors in this country and nurses were paid like doctors like things would just be different right like really smart people would decide they want to be teachers and it would be a really valuable um like and not that it's not valuable but like you know if you're going to get paid $25,000 a year to be a teacher like the smartest best brightest people most ambitious are not going to become teachers which means that the kids aren't going to you know and maybe those people aren't best for teaching but the point is we just don't we don't value stuff like that we don't value like the public institutions in our country we don't value public education really some communities do right if their property taxes are really high and you know they decide this is the thing that they're going to value and then that that has really good schools um but in general you know we don't value healthcare. look at our fucking healthcare system sorry we just like i mean you know people like people are you know Elderly people are dying in like decrepit, disgusting nursing homes that, you know, charge Medicare like $5,000 a month, you know, so that they're like destitute by the, I mean, it's just, it's just broken. It's broken, basically. It's broken. And I'm not saying like the European model of, you know, is, is the best. There's no, there's no like magic bullet that, but we could do better. We could definitely right. do better. We could do better. We could have a bigger safety net. I mean, I think we did at, at a certain point. I mean, I think this is what Biden has been talking about that like at, um, you know, in the, in the four, in the, like the grit, the, the deal, the new deal, you know, we provided jobs for people with the government created jobs, which then helped our whole country and our whole society. We built, highways we you know we invested in in ports and airports and infrastructure and schools hoover dam hoover dam all these things that created jobs created like um really good paying jobs for people to have dignity and live and like raise families and all that stuff and communities and 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 provided like a a place you know a, a better world a better country for for our kids 
mean, I don't know if you heard Biden's um, um, the other day where he was like talking about his infrastructure bill. Do you listen to it? I probably haven't watched a presidential speech okay. since Obama's first term. Okay. Like I just, I, I just, I, the prepared comments and the pandering to the base of Republicans and Democrats. And then I thought Trump was a bumbling idiot. I think Biden's a bumbling idiot, although his is probably due to age. I, it's almost impossible for me to watch like a full president. I, I'll try to watch the so State I of the Union. I was listening to it in the car, I think, actually. But yeah. But it was it was amazing. I mean, look, after four years of Trump, anything's amazing. Like my dog would be amazing. But um, he 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 was saying like, essentially he's trying to defend his infrastructure plan, right? right? Which Republicans have balked and said this isn't real. Infrastructure is roads and and bridges and and ports, and that's it. Nothing else. And he's saying, you know. Infrastructure is is roads. We think of it like that because because that is what it has historically been. But we are at a precipice in time and technology where things like Wi-Fi should be considered infrastructure, and oh, for sure, like the electrical grid should be considered infrastructure. And I mean, there's a couple of things that take it a little further, like healthcare systems, like our aging baby boomer population that. Um, we're in a pickle, right? Like we're in the sandwich generation. So you and I, like our parents are getting older and our kids are young. And a, a lot of people don't have, you know, parents who don't have a lot of money are going to be relying on their kids to help them. And at an old age, maybe they can't afford a nurse or whatever. So, or they don't want to be in a nursing home. They're still capable of living in their homes, but, um, but need help. And it's a big strain. It's a strain on us trying to make our way in the world with our own families. And it's a strain on them and it's a strain on the economy and the healthcare system and Medicare in general. And so he's wrapping that into um, part of the infrastructure, which is, like the people of our country are our capital, right? Like that's what makes America, America. It's our people. If we don't invest in our people and our society, then what the fuck? We're just like Russia. Like who cares? You know what I mean? People are going to be, and, and honestly, that is what, this sounds elitist and I know I am an elitist, so forgive me, but like, this is what's happening in the country. It's like, we haven't valued things like healthcare and education and, you know, like, all of these things from a, from a, from a government point of view, I think communities sometimes do a very good job of like supporting each other and being there and, you know, whatever, but from a government, and this is because Republicans don't believe that government should be, should be doing this at all. This is not the job of Republic of government, right? Government should be small, but I mean, this is why we're at where we're at. I mean, I, I listened to some, like I, I was watching that documentary on QAnon, which I haven't finished, but did you get it? No, oh, you should watch it. Um, and it's like they interview these two, this couple, you know, um, <laughs> and um, the the uh, the they they both voted for Obama twice, and you know they're just talking about how they kind of got sucked into QAnon and all this stuff, and how now they think they're woke and and they're thinking for themselves now and all this like crazy shit, and it just to me it just exposes the like vulnerability of our people because we are not teaching people critical thinking skills. We're not valuing critical thinking skills. We are, and we're not providing people with like dignified ways of, um, we have no economy in this country for people who like don't go to college, don't have a, a trained like, you know, skill like a welder or yeah. a pipe fitter or whatever. People who just like, you know, just graduate from high school and like coast and don't have any kind of, you know, real life, like whatever working skill. We don't, we don't 
do anything for those people. And then, you know, we have social media and, you know, YouTube and all this garbage that like influences people. And then people become vulnerable. Their brains become vulnerable. And that is kind of, I think, part of what has happened. Um, and it's been happening for like 50 years or it's been happening for like 30 years. But we've just kind of, people like us, people like me who live where I live and like, I think I do have critical thinking skills and have opportunities. I don't think about that because it doesn't affect my life. Right. But that's a huge millions, hundreds of millions of Americans. Are, are you a fan of uh, Mike Rowe at all? The guy who did Dirty Jobs and he was the voiceover for like Deadliest Catch. He, oh, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. he's definitely more on the conservative side of things, although I don't know if he would identify as a Republican. And he's a really big proponent of like, hey, there's a huge cross section of Americans that would be better better off identifying their senior year of high school that they need to go to trade school, mechanic school for heavy operating equipment, welding school. And he he always is posting on his Facebook. He's like, here's the tens of thousands of jobs that are unfulfilled that are like between an 80 and $120,000 job. And he goes, but we've convinced everybody that they have to go get a four exactly. year degree in sociology. He's ridiculous. like, dropout rate is insane. College debt levels are skyrocketing. He's like, where is like, the educational system identifying these people and being like and supporting hey, them yeah saying, supporting hey, like this is like john um john went to like a really big catholic uh high school in milwaukee um he had gone to like a french immersion school before that and then decided to go to high school at this big catholic high school that was the, he he said he always calls it it was called a like a comprehensive high school and there were kids in it who like went to a friend who went to Dartmouth, you know, and then there were people in there who didn't go to college and they were, and they had like, they had tracks where like, you know, you would do whatever you had learned a different skill, like really just preparing people for like living based on, and this is how Europe is, right? Like you have to take an exam in order to go to university. And if you don't pass the exam, then you get kind of filtered into something else. Yep. And, and that's how, that's your job. And I just think we have, we have a problem in this country where, like there's so many people who who are so like stripped of their dignity and it's like for generations almost at this point that this is why they voted for someone like Trump this is why they're being influenced by crazy conspiracy theories because we're just they're just being left behind in a way that is like it's damaging to the fabric of our society for everybody mm -hmm. and and really it's just it's you know i mean if we don't if we don't start promoting a, a, a like a different like like you said like kind of like shifting our our like priorities when it comes to like what are we going to do for our kids and our children's and our children's children how are they going to make a decent living in this country how are they going to like you know and not everyone should go to college i mean cuz college i mean it's yeah there shouldn't be so many colleges first of all there shouldn't be so many like for profit colleges which are bullshit and are useless and people shouldn't just go to college just to go to college you should get some sort of training in something to do right. something um but yeah this this might shock you because you myself and elizabeth warren probably agree on something which will will be will be shocking to you but when elizabeth warren was railing about student loan debt and whatnot 
And, you know, my first knee jerk reaction is definitely libertarian, more on the conservative side is like, well, you know, students should be able to declare bankruptcy on their student loans. And I'm like, no, fuck that. If, if you signed on the line, which is dotted, you owe that debt, da, da, da. But then when I thought about it a little bit deeper, I was like, well, wait a minute. If you could declare bankruptcy on your student loans, it would force the lenders and the colleges to be more responsible and right. say, wait a minute, are we lending $100,000 to people who are actually going to get a job where they can pay, pay it back? back. Yeah. And so I think allowing like people a mortgage. To, exactly allowing people to bankrupt on their student loans would create a scenario where the lenders and the colleges would have to be more more responsible and yeah. be like you know what sorry jonathan's my 19 year old son sorry jonathan we're not going to let you go two hundred thousand right. dollars into debt on a degree that has an average income of forty five thousand dollars because we know you're never going to pay us back and you're just going to declare bankruptcy so you know that would probably funnel him into a path of like science and tech where you can make more money or maybe college is not for him i don't know it, Although it the feels problem like the, with that is that there are a lot of good people who want to give back and want to work, you know, in social work or in education and um, those jobs just don't pay enough. And that's, that's, the, yeah. that's the problem. Like I have a friend from college who wanted to be a doctor, really, really smart guy, wanted to be a doctor, um, was pre-med. He, I think he had like, you know, he had financial help to go to college and then, but but like, you know, I remember he applied to like, I don't know, a ton of medical schools when we were, and that, that just applying to medical school costs like, you know, like five grand or yeah, a couple, he, couple he hundred had, bucks per application. He had to take a loan this. out to yeah. apply to medical school, medical schools. Then he got into medical school and then he had to take out loans for medical school. But now, you know, he's, he's a doctor and he works in an emergency room or he used to, I don't I don't keep in touch, but um, he right. like, you know, I mean, he's, He's doing something that he's passionate about and that he was always probably meant to do. And it's unfortunate that he had all this debt. So I don't know, it's tricky, but um, there, there should be like some way of evaluating. I mean, we do it for mortgages all the time. So, there, right. you know, and, and maybe it's not credit score, but maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's some kind of, apti not aptitude test, but some kind of something. Like, right, if you're gonna go to college, you know, you should, and, and it's, uh, you know, like whatever they have in Europe, like they have the, you know, in England, they have the like A exams or whatever they're called. Right. I don't know, you know, and you, you know, if you don't do well on them, you don't go to university, you do something yeah. else. So, yeah, it's interesting. I heard a policy floated, which will will never happen, but a bunch of the bigger, you know, Ivy League schools, Harvard and whatnot, they have billion dollar endowments now where theoretically just on the interest, no college student at any of those schools should ever have to pay tuition again because wow. the endowments are so large. So the thought process there was like, hey, let as many people come for free as possible and then you get... 10% of their earnings the first five years that you're out of college. If you had an incentive structure like that, where like the college needs to train you, educate you and job place you where you have the maximum impact in the economy, could be a game changer, right? Yeah. And the, yeah. like the idea of the idea of like Harvard being a nonprofit and needing more billions of dollars into their endowment is kind of laughable. And then capping their student size, it's like, it should be it should be so easy to get into college now in America well, if you so want I to, just, and so cheap. Yeah, I just listened to this um, this American Life episode. It was probably old, but it was about how the pandemic has really changed, um, like like has changed applying for colleges. First of all, like you said, like your son, like a lot of people are just not 
doing it. They're like, I'm not going to pay all this money and like sit in my bedroom that I grew up in on the fucking internet and yeah. do college and pay whatever, how much. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. So, yeah. My son was supposed to go to University of Pittsburgh, you know, all in with everything. It was going to be 40 grand a year. And he called me and he's like, do I really want to take no. garbage Zoom classes no. for $40,000 a year? No. 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 Yeah. So, so they're either taking a year off and a lot of those people are finding that like maybe they're happy. Maybe they don't want to go to college now after all. The other thing that's happening is that a lot of the colleges and universities in this country have decided that because of the pandemic, people, high school students weren't um, able to take the SAT. So a lot of schools are now not requiring the SAT or the ACT, which opens up a lot of opportunity for people who you know, traditionally don't do well on those exams, but are like really bright students who um, do really well in school. They just, for whatever, you know, they, they don't, can't afford to take a test prep class. And so, and they don't, you know, whatever, they, they work a job and they can't study for the SAT every weekend like other kids. And so um, like places like, um, well, and the University of California, I think system has already implemented that, but it's created this, um, kind of scenario where schools are seeing so many more kids apply um, than normally would um, and you know, like much more diverse kids applying because they don't have to have the SAT or the ACT and schools having to, not Harvard, I guess, which has billions right. of dollars to pay, but schools that can't afford to like have kids go for free. And they're actually having to make like really tough decisions. Like, do we accept this person because, um, you know, they they on paper look very similar to this person in terms of their high school, but this person doesn't is not applying for financial aid and this person is. And it's really like kind of it's a way of like and a lot of times they they have no choice right they're like we have this limited amount of financial aid that hasn't increased just because of the pandemic but now we have you know x amount more applicants who need it and we can't accept them so they're making choices they're saying okay we're gonna accept this person because she's gonna pay full tuition and we're just not you know maybe waitlist this person or not accept them because we know that they can't yeah and that is a way of like also like filtering our society, which is like part of the problem always, right? Like that we're, that's, that, that is the, that's the inequality, right? Like they both are, are smart enough to get into whatever, Harvard, Wash U, and they both, you know, top 10% of their class, top 1% of their class have extracurriculars due to blah, 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 whatever. One can pay tuition and one can't. And that person's trajectory is forever changed, right? Like if you go to a top tier university, a top 20 university, this is what it said in the episode, something like this, I'll probably butcher it, but like you have a one in four chance of being a top 10% earner in this country. If you go to a larger state school, you have a one in 20 chance. If you go to a lower tier university, it's like one in whatever, you know? So so it does affect your whole, it affects your whole life. They, they interviewed certain people. One girl was a, you know, she was like in the top five of her class in like Riverside County. Her school wasn't a great school, um, but she uh, ended up going to like, you know, said or something. And like people who were her cohorts in high school were going to, you know, I don't know. I can't remember, but like much higher tier schools. Right. And and that changes your, your whole life. It can. It can, I should say. Yeah. You know, there's an interesting dilemma there, though, because I, sometimes I feel like the colleges self-select. And I, I have a buddy that went to an MBA program at Stanford, and he gave me this idea, so I'm not going to take credit for it. But he's like, you know, what Stanford does is they self-select a pool of people for their business MBA program 
that are the most well-connected, already wealthy, already successful, already smart, then they go through the Stanford MBA and they end up being really successful in their life. And Stanford says, see, look, it's our MBA. It made these people really successful. It's like, no, they could have gone to Pasadena City College and Cal State Northridge and probably still been really successful because they were smart, they were connected, they were wealthy. So there is some weird self-selecting thing where like you mentioned that one out of four ends up in the top earners. I wonder, and you you can't prove the counterfactual, but I wonder if those people didn't get into a top tier school, if they had the smarts and the drive to already get into oh, that one out of four that were that yeah. were top tier income. That I, I, I don't know. Interesting to find out. I don't know. I, I, mean, I don't know how you would do that study, but it's it's but a, so it's a much dilemma. about going to college. I feel like going to like a you know an elite university is about connections. Totally, like it's about meeting people who come from families who own businesses, who have connections in politics and have connections in the business world and know people. And you know, I mean. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I know from college who are super successful, who have networked with other people from my college in order to successful. And and then they have met other people from other similar colleges, you know, just by like living in New York in their early 20s and working in some corporate blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I didn't really, you know. I'm a real estate agent, but that's fine. <laughs> right. You know, you, you let's talk about that because you bring this up a lot. When when I when I very first met you, and it's funny, we we were talking earlier about your kids are 10 years old now. I, I think we met when you were pregnant with, I with wasn't twins. Even pregnant. Oh, you weren't even pregnant yeah. yet. So we met before you were pregnant with twins. And and I remember you joking, it's like, Jesus, man, I have these advanced degrees in, in media it. public affairs <laughs> that you're still paying for. And uh, I'm a fucking real estate agent. And you you know, you would get so angry. And I I'm have like, like a chip on my shoulder, I think, because You know, like I had gone to grad school and I think I thought like, and I had been working in public radio, which honestly is like a lot of like intellectual kind of like journalist, writer people. Um, And, and, you know, so, and then, and then real estate is like a lot of people who like don't graduate high school or don't graduate college. And it's like, you know, you don't. Very low barrier to entry. Yeah. It's a low barrier to entry. And And that's why there's a lot of like really bad real estate agents in some ways. And sometimes there's like amazing real estate agents. So it's just like, it's like a very varied situation. Right. Whereas like working in public radio is like small, very yeah. specific. Everyone is like, you know. If, um, if, if you're working at NPR, everybody's kind of similarly yes, credentialed. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Yes, yeah, right. So, um, and and I, you know, I and I was sort of at the beginning mourning that career because I had really wanted to make it work and I just couldn't, I couldn't make it work. It was like 2008 NPR, like basically laid off, like, you know, tons of people because they were losing money like crazy. They had lost a lot of money in the stock market and they, they were closing, they were like ending two of their shows that were being recorded out of the NPR West in Culver city. And you know, I just had, there was, and then I worked at Marketplace for a little while, um, which because it was like a business, public radio was actually, you know, they were, they were doing okay. But then there were so many public radio, like producers out of work that they were like, well, we're just going to filter them. Like, we're not going to stick with you. We're going to keep, you know, moving everybody in. There were like 65 out of work public radio producers in Los Angeles in like 2008 that were all laid off from NPR and other places. And, you know, there's just not nearly that many jobs. A lot of them went back to DC. Some people transitioned to other things like me. I I remember I was a friend with someone who decided to go back to school to get a nursing degree and, you know, whatever. So, um, but you know, I had, I was, I was mourning that career because I thought, 
you know, there was a part of me that was like, I couldn't make it work. And now I'm doing something that seems like less, uh, you know, important or whatever, or less like, um, intellectually stimulating. Yeah. 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 In some way. Um, but I don't care about that shit anymore. I mean, I, it's like, it's funny because a lot of the people that I worked with back then, this was like 10 or 12 years ago, like, um, you know, they've had like five or six different jobs, a different thing, you know, like, because that's how it's like entertainment, but way less uh, lucrative. Right, right. <laughs> I was gonna say, and you probably make a lot more money as a real oh, estate way, way agent. More, way more, <laughs> right, way more. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Providing better for your family. Yeah. And it, it, I, I always joke, I'm like, in the loan officer world where I come from in the real estate world, nobody grows up being like, I wanna be a loan officer right. or I wanna be the best realtor in Culver City. It's right. like, I kind of feel like all <laughs> loan officers and all realtors failed at something else first or got, you know, shuffled out of a career. And then they're like, well, I'll go into real estate or loans because like you can help people, you can make a lot of money, I can kind of make Make my own schedule and then certain people thrive and as you and yeah. i know certain people die on the vine and they yeah. never really make it yeah. but it's so funny because every realtor i ever talked to i'm like hey what'd you do in your real life yeah. before you did real yeah. estate and they're everybody like had I, everybody had yeah. something i was yeah. in the entertainment industry I was a musician yeah i work yeah i was yeah. a producer i was in i did costumes i did whatever yeah yeah that's really funny yeah. um i want to go back to something you said earlier because um my friends that are on the right or libertarian would yell at me if i didn't push back and i and in fairness i'm totally going to try to catch you in a trap here okay. so um you know you mentioned the the institutional racism which is like a big buzzword and um i was listening to uh bill maher right before trump got elected and he had this what's now kind of become a viral famous quote and he's like well i'm not saying that all republicans are racist but if you're racist you probably belong to the the Republican Party. And I was like, dude, that's so disingenuous. But, you know, the turn the 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 thread of institutional racism has played out a lot in the media, especially after, over the last four years of Trump. But when I look at it as an outsider, kind of a libertarian, I'm like, all right, well, let's go through the institutions. Education, overwhelmingly Democrat and progressive. Media, overwhelmingly Democrat and progressive public unions, overwhelmingly democratic and progressive. I mean, you can even go to like the LA County sheriffs The you know, they've all endorsed democratic um, candidates. So I'm like, well, if you're telling me there's institutional racism and all the institutions are overwhelmingly progressive Democrats, hmm. how can we say that Republicans are the racists? Well, I think what I would say to that is that it's not, I don't look at it like those institutions are Democrat versus Republican. I think they are, it, it is because they're all funded by the federal government or they're all fu- funded by government in general. And um, like Democrats traditionally, I mean, look, I mean, Biden became our president, right? The most watered down sort of total milk school, like Democrat that was running. Okay, and and why is that? You know, Hillary Clinton was our candidate. Why is that? That's because uh, there is such a divide in our country between conservatives and liberals that you know the real progressives like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Bernie Sanders they they could never win because there's too many Republicans. So we always try to like go to the center and try to bridge the party and try to like get and truthfully. People like me, like real, like liberal, like AOC people are the minority. Like most Democrats are middle of the road Biden people. This is why he's the president and probably even less progressive than Biden, I would say. Um, 
the point, I guess my point is, is that all of these institutions are funded by a government that, that just doesn't, we just don't value them. We don't value them. We don't fund them. We don't, you know, we, there, there's too many other interests that are priorities with our government, including tax breaks to the wealthy and corporate, you know, subsidies and whatever that like, there's just no chance. I mean, yes. And our, I also agree that there is something to be said for like the shit show that is the bureaucracy. Look, like, I mean, going back to LAUSD, which we were talking about before. Yeah. Before we went live, we were talking about the challenges of LAUSD. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it is a, it's like the, you know, the case study for, you know, like too big, too much bureaucracy, like too many, like just too much shit. They can't get enough done. They can't really, you know, and, and part of that is because there's so many other forces in our society. People, homeowners, people don't want to pay taxes, people, corporate interests trying to lower the amount of money that Los Angelinos pay to go to the public school, you know, and all, all of that stuff. So I don't really look at it like, um, I don't know. I just don't really look at it like that because I think, you know, I mean, I hear this a lot. Like people say, well, you know, it's all the, the democratic cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles that have all the homeless problem. And why, you know, why is that? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's not, it's not the government. It's, you know, we're, we're more tolerant because I think we have a little bit more empathy in terms of like, like when, when Giuliani was mayor of New York, I mean, my parents moved to New York in 1998, New York city. And you know, they moved to Tribeca, which as most people know, is like a really fancy place. It's like one of the most expensive zip codes in America. You know, there was like a strip club on the corner of their street and there was um, like garbage dumping like all over the place, you know, and then Giuliani became mayor and like all that shit went away. Strip club went away and all this, you know, everything got cleaned up and everyone thought, oh, well, it's a Republican, you know. Um, and I, I think it has to do more with I don't even know what my point is, except that like it has to do more with like being empathetic and valuing, you know, there's there's a better way. I don't have the solution, right? I don't have the solution for why LAUSD has like failed so many families, you know, and why our healthcare system is such, you know, a shit show, why we don't have gun control laws. Like, you know, it, it's it's not easy, but I don't, I definitely think at least the values on the democratic side are in the right place. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Can, can I, can I give you my theory on where I think that empathy and like well-intentioned values and maybe, maybe the political correctness has gone a little bit off the rails and why we're seeing homeless more in California, you know, big California cities, uh, Austin, you know, blue dot in yeah. a red state. Yeah. Um, it just, yeah, I, I think, you know, when, when I was growing up, my first job was at Rite Aid. I worked where my mom worked at Rite Aid. I was scooping ice cream at like 14, whenever you could get a 10 hour a week, thrifties, yeah, <laughs> uh, 10 hour a week work permit. And there was this homeless guy who, you know, sat in front of Rite Aid and asked for food and money. And my mom was very nice to him. Everybody at the store was very nice to him. Everybody would buy him food, but everybody called him a bum. 
Like he was a bum. That's what you called it in the eighties and nineties. He was a bum. And, and I remember my mom telling me like, Oh yeah, I think his name was Ben. Um, Ben's got a, um, Ben the bum. Uh, Ben's got a sister who lives up in Pasadena is very wealthy. He can go live with him at any time, but he's not willing to stop drinking and he's a raving alcoholic and he's a drug addict and you don't want to be like that. Right. And people weren't disrespectful of him. And my mom would bring him leftover food every time she, you know, came back from lunch. My mom probably was making eight bucks an hour back then or something. Um, and everybody was, was, um, accommodating, but they weren't accepting. And I think what has happened is like just one step before that, I think there's this huge cross section of Americans, human beings that are, have always, and will always live on that razor's edge of like, uh, I'm barely hanging on. I'm barely living on the couch in my friend's apartment. I'm barely staying off of drugs. I'm barely staying gainfully employed to that minimum wage job. And as we've normalized it more and more, whether it's the drug use or whether it's the using the correct term, you know, not kind of, um, speaking down to ending up in that situation, I feel like there's a huge cross-sections of Americans that have fallen off that razor's edge. And once they fall off, we're never getting them back. Like, right. like if you were- we don't have the support system in this country. Right. To, we don't have a net to capture these people and, and start getting them services. And we do, but it's impossible to navigate. Yeah. It doesn't reach everybody. The jobs that are helping those people are low wage jobs like social workers and people who work for nonprofits. Right. And, and it's also, that's, it's not, it's driven by nonprofits and religious organizations for the most part. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not supported by government because that's not what, uh, that's not an, an American value, right? America of America values, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. If you're in that position, that's because you did something to put yourself in that position. I mean, th- right. this is traditionally how America yeah. is, right? This is um, the doggy dog world exactly, of like exactly. modern this frontier. This is capitalism. This right. is America. Like you, if you, you, you can, if you can dream it, you can be it, but you got to work your ass off and no one, no one's going to give you a handout and blah, blah, blah. Um, but the problem is, I think what, what I was saying before is that I think there's this consciousness now of understanding that like the playing field is not equal. People are not starting off on the same foot. It is, it's, it's very unlikely to end up with your dream if you start, you know, in, in a, as Ben the bum or, you're right. fa- or you have some sort of, you know, like dysfunctional like life where people are on drugs, you are homeless or, you know, you are, um, whatever, whatever you have to, uh, I don't know. You're, you can't, you're not employed. I mean, these are things that like are just really difficult to overcome. They're not impossible. We see it all the time. And that's the thing. It's like, people talk about these antidotes. Well, look at, look at this person and they, they started out like this and now they're like this. Yes. Okay. That's great. That is the American story. But but the vast majority, you know, are going to end up in jail or end up dead or addicted to drugs or, you know, without a house or without any support because we don't have that support. The, the, the nation doesn't have that support. Part of that is because I think I think it's not even about like creating a, a social services network of like welfare. Or whatever. It's creating a system where people have decent jobs that they actually get paid a decent wage can, can have a house, raise their kids, their kids can have with dignity and, and like kind of like, you know, then that gets passed on. It's like, you know, it's like Republicans always talk about like family values and, you know, like the family unit and, and, and all of this stuff, but like, we just don't have a society that like supports that. 
our minimum wage is like, what, $7 an hour? I mean, like no one can live on $7 an hour. And people are like, well, you shouldn't have a minimum wage job if that's going to be your job. But there are a lot of people who can't get other jobs because what job are they going to have? They don't, you know, so, I mean, California doesn't have that minimum wage, but, but it's, you know, even, even in, even in California, I mean, this is like just being a real estate agent. It's like, I mean, this is like funny, but, um, you know, I have two of my really good friends live in Connecticut in like Fairfield County, Connecticut, like nice, really beautiful, very expensive, like suburbs of New York, Connecticut. And, um, you know, I talk to them constantly. One lives in Westport, which is like really nice. And, um, I was just telling her I was an escrow on this house in Silver Lake. The house, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amusing when you look at it from an outside perspective, right? The house, 670 square feet on like a, on like a 2000 square foot lot. It was one of the Maltman bungalows. So tiny one bedroom house, tiny, tiny house. Um, and you know, she bought it for $795,000, which in Connecticut can buy you like a beautiful house on an acre with a garage and, you know, a huge driveway and, uh, you know, a guest room and a basement and all these things. I mean, it's like, it, it, it's, it just, and that's not a cheap place to live. You know what right. I mean? Like that's an expensive part of the country. It's considered an expensive part of the country. But like when you, when you, you know, you see those things, it's like, what can, what can $800,000 buy you across In the country? Right. In LA, it's a 670 square foot, tiny little house for one, barely one person. Yeah. No, barely any land in Silver Lake, which is great. Or, you know, like a. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, this is interesting because this kind of brings us full circle because as property values in LA have more than doubled over the last 12 years, that means the real estate tax base has doubled over the last 10 years because, you know, a a majority of LA County and LA city revenue comes from property taxes. And so I I want to break apart, like, is the is the social safety nets, the actual services and the, the services and the systems if those don't exist, could we maybe get to a point of agreement where like, hey, there's probably enough money in the system. It's just being horribly mismanaged by the bureaucracy. I kind of feel yeah, like- Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's also being mismanaged because of how unequal it is, right? The money, like the people who pay the high property taxes live in the wealthier areas and they don't need it as much as the people who live in the you know, lower economic areas that like don't have as higher property taxes. I mean, the fact that our education system is based on property taxes, period. And like a lot, you know, is, is a problem, right? Because it it just creates a completely unequal system where like, if you live in a low income area, then none of your services are going to be good because no one's paying a lot of taxes. Yeah. It just shouldn't be like that. Like if everything was sort of equal, I mean, look, this is like, you know, Oh, she's a socialist. Um, (laughs) And I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a socialist. I don't, I think, I think that criticism is, you know, I, I do think that we, and I also think about this in the sense I'm like pivoting now, but like, you know, when we talk about like the immigrants that are coming from, from South America, from, you know, Central America and how they're like fleeing their country, right? And how, you know, their country is so violent and blah, 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 and they're coming to our country. It's like, if we could just think about ways to support those countries and encourage those countries to take care of their people and to, you know, for more human rights and deal with their, you know, with their whatever, whatever's going on there, violence, you know, organized crime, whatever, um, then, 
that in turn would help our immigration problem, right? Like it's like diplomacy in a way, like you mm -hmm. have to, you have to, and this is what America has always been about, right? Like we're always about like, and people think, oh, it's like sticking our noses in other people's business, but it is, it's a, it's a national security issue. Like we stick our noses in other people's business to protect our own security and right. our own people and to like manage our society. And so, and this is the same with like our own institutions. Like we need to, you know, we need to invest in things that are like the long-term, like, like corrections, not just like throw money. You know, I mean, I, I just think, you know, like throw a tax cut, give out the th money for this. We have to like, we have to start from the inside out. We have to like rethink how we're funding institutions. We have to rethink healthcare. Why are people so fucking broke because they're sick? Like, is that that's not normal. That doesn't happen in other countries. I mean, that's one of the main reasons why things are so unequal in this country, right? Because people don't have healthcare. They get sick, they're totally fucked. They're in debt for the rest of their life and then they die and then their families are in debt. Um, so these are things that like, if we could tackle and solve or at least get better, they would in turn like change you know, we'd have probably less homeless people, right? If we had a better healthcare system, if we had a better education system, we would have, you know, we could build more houses. We could, you know, whatever, train people to do, we, we, if we could get more jobs in this country. Um, it's just, it's, and, and, and like, we're, I feel sometimes despondent because we're so, four years of Trump and we're just so far, you know, and it's, it's not like we didn't make any progress with Obama. We did, but it really was not enough. And I don't, it wasn't nearly enough. And I don't think we did enough to like really tackle the things that we needed to tackle 12 years ago. And now we're, you know, whatever, 15 years later. And like, you know, I mean, we haven't even talked about like the climate and the planet. I mean, we're like, we have to make radical changes now is what I think in order to make up for the time that we haven't done shit. So, and the thing is other countries are doing it, right? Like China's doing it. China's investing in like electric cars and, and, you know, new technology and all this stuff because they see that that's the way it's, it's the future is. Yeah. But China's also like by far, by far the biggest net polluter in the planet. Like when, when I talk to yeah. people about environmental issues, I'm like, Hey, I'm, yes, I'm, true. I'm with you. I a hundred percent want my kids to inherit a better planet than we have right now. And what, what I always want to ask people, they're like, we've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. I'm like, all right, let me ask you this. At some point in 2030, 2035, 2040, if China is still spewing a gajillion tons of shit into the atmosphere, is it worth going to war for? Well, here's the thing. We have to make it so that because China's really I mean, all these countries now are are you know, they're, they're capitalists, right? They're trying, they're, they're much more capitalist than they were before. We have to make it economically like disadvantageous for them to be polluting. And, and we have to lead that effort and other countries have to lead that effort because that's the thing that, that's the thing that changes the world, right? Like when, you know, if solar energy becomes an alternative that's cheaper and more efficient, well, then that's the market telling you that that's better and we should abandon these other things or we should slowly move. And, and that's what we need to do with, with, you know, and, and once we set that example, we're not setting the example right now. We're giving coal companies like giant subsidies to like keep going and for fracking and whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about, but right. you know, um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being buzzwords. honest there. Um, buzzwords, so, buzzwords, yes. More buzzwords. But, but like, but that's, I mean, and that is how, I mean, that's, that's how the real estate market works too, right? We have no inventory right now. And so the prices are 
totally bonkers. People are paying ridiculous amounts of money for, you know, ridiculous yeah. shit, you know? And we've been through this before. We did this before. It's just a lot more expensive now. A lot more expensive. And what's what's interesting is it's not like, it's not fake demand where you can get a loan with zero down and right. just have a pulse. Right. It's like the people that are buying now are putting real down payments. Yes. They are actually really invested qualified. in the market. So I don't, you know, every- It's not the same where it's like, we're going to have the same type of- Yeah, downturn. Where, yeah, no. Because people have real skin in the game this yeah. time. Yeah. So it's like, it's kind of weird. But I read the stat the other day and I, I mentioned in one of the podcasts the other day, this will probably blow your mind if you really let it sink in. Of all the US dollars in circulation, 40% mm -hmm. of them were printed in the last 18 months. Is that because of like population or because- No, that's because of the, the stimulus. stimulus and then the this and the that. And and it's like, it's, it's you know, and you know, depending where, whether you're a Keynesian or, you know, you're more of a Austrian school of business, you will violently agree or disagree with this. But the government's basically just trying to inflate our yes. way out of the problem and stimulate things. And we, we could argue all day long whether well, that's so a good thing or not. The, what are the consequences of that? Inflation, right? Because now, now the houses are worth a lot more money if you have 40% more dollars in the economy. Right. Right. Um, and then just, I read some other stat that I haven't had a chance to fact check that more money has gone into the stock market the last year than had gone in the previous 12 years. Because if you get your $1,400 stimulus check, which yeah. wasn't means tested by any matter, um, and you're making $100,000 a year, you're oh, like, oh, I'll just yeah. put it in the stock market. I'll yeah. just buy more Robinhood, you know, app yeah. stock gambling. And it's, it's crazy to me because to me, I feel like if you could have put Jeff Bezos in front of the stimulus, we probably could have accomplished more with half the money, you know, because when they say, well, we're just going to send everybody under this dollar amount, a $1,400 check. It's like, well, I know a lot of people that are retired, their house is paid off. They're on a pension from the LA US school district and social security. So technically they made under whatever the number was, $74,000, $84,000 a year, but they didn't really need the money. I would have rather seen that money go to somebody who was like a $12 an hour restaurant worker that hasn't had a job for four months. And I'm like, can we just put some smart people in charge well, of this, this shit? Is the problem. The, the problem is so complex. And what I've, what I've really learned, and I don't know if it's because I'm older now, um, and like overly educated to some degree, but, and after Trump was president and I mean, you know, just the sort of totally unqualified people that were working in the white house with really just like, no, not even like experience, but like really any interest in like actually trying to figure these things out from like any kind of economic like perspective <laughs> or like, you know, you know, it's it yes that's what we need we need like the super we need to incentivize the brilliant minds of this country to go into and we used to do that right to go into public service to go into government um but we don't do that because we just you know it's a joke people think it's a joke going into congress is a joke uh working for the government is a joke it's like a way to get a pension it's not you know yeah. and so the and the wealthy people you know the people who aren't with the dreamers and all the whatever like jeff bezos and Elon Musk. And these are people who are like, fuck that. I'm going to go try to go to space on my own. I have enough money. I'm going to go, yeah. I'm, or I'm Bill Gates. I'm going to donate money to this research because this thing in the world, I mean, you know, you think about the billions and billions and billions of dollars that some of these people have, these Americans who live in this country, who are the richest people in the world. Think about, you know, just half of their money, what, what it could do to, to like change, just change everything, change the planet, change the country, change, you know, change lives. It's just, and I, I'm not saying that like, they don't deserve to be wealthy people. We're always, this is a capitalist country and this, and I, I believe in that there should not, people should not 
you know, we, we shouldn't have a country like it's social, like communism, where everyone is just like working and gets the same amount and, you know, whatever. That's not, you know, I wouldn't be in real estate if I thought that way. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> um, that, you know, the, you should be incentivized to make money and be yeah. successful. But, but there should be, you know, I feel like it's, you know, they always say, I always hear the statistic, like, and I don't know what the numbers are, but it's like, you know, in the fifties and sixties, like CEOs made X amount of what their minimum of what their workers made. Right. And it was like, you know, whatever it is, like 50 to one. Yeah. And now it's like 1200 to yeah. one or something. And like, yeah. that just seems excessive. Like, and, and the thing is, that's what we're valuing. We're valuing these billionaires and their tax breaks and their interests and not the working people. And so what are we doing? We're creating a society of people who are overworked, underpaid, like not, uh, you know, not respected or not living a life of dignity or are going into debt because of medical bills. Their kids aren't, you know, able to go to college or whatever. They can't afford a house. They can't afford a car. They have to have two jobs. Like this is not what we should be about, in my opinion. I mean, we should be about like about creating opportunity for people and whether or not you take it, that's your choice, right. you know, but like at least giving people the opportunity and, and at the same time, you know, beefing up our country, beefing up our security, beefing up our, our systems, making this like the 21st century. I mean, it's insane sometimes. Like when I think about, you know, I just think about like my, 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 mother and father-in-law live in like rural Wisconsin. My father-in-law just passed away, but my mother-in-law lives in rural Wisconsin. And, um, you know, for during the pandemic, we wanted to like send them stuff, you know, and like, you know, John and I get Amazon prime delivered daily. Yeah. Like eight hours later, I mean, anything in the world, anything in the world. Right. Yeah. And I get that that's a privilege, but like, there's nothing that gets delivered there. Like yeah. nothing. The only things that get delivered there are like the businesses that are in that town. And most of them are closed during COVID. So yeah. it's like a different world. You know what I mean? Like my cell phone doesn't work in that town, like at all, unless it's on Wi-Fi. It's just, it's like, sometimes you can't even fathom. You have to like step out. And I haven't been out of LA in a year, over a year. So it's hard to even like fathom at this time. But like, it's, it's just, it's a different world out there. People are, you know, I, I was, I was reading that article in the times about um, how the Trump administration had like scammed so many supporters for donations and like where they would like pre-check these boxes and stuff and like make it a weekly donation. And they would kind of like hide it. Right. And people's bank accounts were getting like emptied by these donations. And, you know, I'm like listening to the story or I was reading about the stories of some of these people. And it's like, you know, like this one guy makes he's a retired guy he he lives on like fourteen hundred dollars a month and i just started that like sunk into me and i just thought and he's fine you know he has a life yeah. he is able to there's live. still a lot of places in america you can live on fourteen hundred dollars exactly. a month exactly. but not if you know not if you're being scammed and they right. take like eight hundred dollars <laughs> a week but but i was like holy shit like there are people that's that's millions and millions and millions of americans right. of seniors of, of non-seniors they live on on that per month and it's like it's just such a stark contrast to to like you you could not survive in southern california in any place even like the you know the worst towns you're still paying half a million dollars for for a house a real house so you know i don't know so yeah i wanted to ask you you know you mentioned you haven't left la in a year and i know you and the family have been really cautious during covid um what what do you think california has gotten right and what do you think they've gotten wrong in this covid pandemic I don't know. I mean, I think it's like, it's, it's like such a difference depending on your socioeconomic 
bracket, essentially. Like I walk around Mount Washington like every day, you know, I'm always hiking around Mount Washington and I talk to neighbors every day and it's like, everyone's vaccinated. Everyone's in the middle of being vaccinated, has an appointment set up. Um, but you know, that's because we're in a privileged place where most people work from home. And, and that's that's what's so ironic too, right? It's like people in Mount Washington work from home for the most part and don't need to be vaccinated. We're not, I mean, some people are doctors and, and work nurses or whatever and work, you know, with a lot of people, but um but but you know, in general, like what do I think California has gotten right? Well, at the very beginning of the pandemic, I just was seeing like Facebook posts that I posted like a year ago that were like about how great California was doing and how we were like, cause we were all buckling down and like really staying at home and no one was going anywhere. And it, the numbers were, we're going to, you know, we were going to whatever the curve or flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, then around Christmas, like things just started to get crazy. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I think I think it's like a real problem and a lot of pressure from the business community and, you know, um, like from an economic standpoint for politicians to shut down stuff, like to really just shut it down. They just feel that they can't, you know, they're they're in the pocket of a lot of corporations and those people don't want businesses to be shut down. And there's, that's like a lot of pressure. Um, but in some ways, if we had, and I don't know, I mean, a lot of European countries did do that and they're in a worse position than we are now. So yeah, I, I really, I don't, I mean, I think the rollout in general of, you know, the messaging, I mean, from, from the, from the federal government, from Trump and the Trump administration was horrific. Like the, the messaging was just poor. It was like, he never wore a mask. You don't have to wear a mask. Like you can get these medications. I got them. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Everything's cool. We have it under control. Instead of being like, you know, like a massive, massive like PR campaign about wearing masks, about how to be safe. And I, I know that like a lot of that was not, we didn't know a lot. Right. Um, but something, some kind of something, some kind of messaging, like, like plan, um, communications plan. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think we are doing a pretty good job of vaccinating people. It seems mm -hmm. like it. You know, my cleaning lady was at my house yesterday. She has an appointment for next week, um, which is great. And now everyone, I think every adult can get vaccinated in Los Angeles. Yeah, as of a day ago <laughs> like or two yesterday. days ago or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is great. And it makes me feel like a huge sense of relief. You know, the kids are finally going to go back to school in some form. Um, but it's just... You know, it's, and I think, you know, we are in a fortunate place because we can be outside all year round. Yeah. We can eat outside. We can have things outside, which makes it a lot safer. And, you know, you're sort of like threading the needle with businesses and corporations and the economy and, you know, also trying to be as safe as possible and also trying to tackle like issues of, you know, isolation and all of that. We could have done a better job of that, I think. I think there was like a little bit of like wishy-washiness, like, you know, restaurants should have probably been open outside, you know, if, if we had had like some sort of basis of 
of, you know, safety standards. I mean, I think that's part of the issue is that like the science has just, has been very unclear because they're still studying the virus. Right. They were for the whole year. So right. it's just like, well, is that safe? Is that not safe? Is six feet safe? Is three feet safe? Like, what should we do? I, we don't know. Yeah. Let's just close it all down. So. Um, I, I, just, I just remember them for like months. It was like, well, can the virus live on a surface right. or not? And it's like, Dude, I barely made it out of high school, okay? I barely passed chemistry, but I'm pretty sure there's some really smart people that can put a virus on a table and determine whether it's still alive 30 seconds later or not. I'm like, how is this science not settled? They did, but like, it was more about, I guess, if you... If you, t- I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I don't, and I think part of that is like a top down thing that was right. just like a total shit show, right? Like we had no authoritative, authoritative like body. Nobody was trusting the CDC or the WHO. Like every, it's like, you know, like everything is, we don't have, this is another problem with our society and our country is that we just don't, we don't have a sense of like, um, who's in charge anymore. There's like right. media's fake. All the things that they report are fake. Like these conspiracy theories are real. Like, um, you know, I mean, it has been a Biden's pretty good, Biden's not our president. Like it has been a pretty good 24 months for conspiracy theorists. Oh, like, yes. I mean, the problem is, yes, the problem is every once in a while they come true and you're like, see, see, there was a right. government operative who was smuggling 14 year old girls to a private Island right. to have sex with billionaires. Right. And you're like, that sounds like something out of a Tom Clancy movie. You're right. like, nope, nope, really happened. Yeah. And then and he died in prison under weird terms. And it's like, you know, it only takes one of those to make the crazies yes. be like, see, yes. there's the proof that all yes. this other crazy yes. shit I've been talking well, about is real. That's what documentary talks about. I'll have like, to watch it. Yeah, it's like how, like, yes, every when you spew out enough shit, a couple of them are going to land. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and then, you know, then you can say, oh, look. Yeah. He see, was right. Proof, proof. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a weird time. But how have you been dealing, you know, just on a personal level? Like your kids are in a very developmental stage. And I was talking to a, a mutual friend of ours, who I won't use their name because they might be embarrassed. And they're like, yeah, my, you know, nine or 10 year old who's in fourth or fifth grade, they're back to school two days a year, two days a week. And he had like a legit two hour mental breakdown, just crying and saying, mommy, you know, it's so easy. It's so easy. We're in school to focus. I can't look at zoom. I'm a failure. Why can't we just go back to school full time? And obviously like this sad situation is like supporting the narrative in my mind that like kids should be back at school. So I'm kind of clinging onto it, but like to, to hear that there's a nine year old having a full on panic attack, mental breakdown, like I almost feel like in oh, some areas that's like times a million in this country, probably. I mean, you yeah. know, it's like on a massive scale. My kids, I mean, we're lucky enough to live like from the very, very beginning, from the first day that they didn't go back to school, we kind of like potted with our next door neighbors, our immediate next door neighbors, like a compound kind of. They have two kids and um we have two kids and you know, they're different ages, but they're get along very very right. well and it was great we had dinners together the kids played together there was some social interaction then another neighbor a little bit later on joined our pod and there was the three families um and then we had like a college kid who lived up the hill from us who was sort of like the camp counselor for the summer and like would take them on hikes around mount washington and take them to the park and whatever take them to his house and like play legos and awesome so so they had some kind of social interaction not the same i mean my daughter is you know like a mature fourth grader my son is like an immature fourth grader yeah, it's all boys so yeah so so he was fine hanging out with second graders she was and she has a lot of very close girlfriends that she hasn't seen at all really you know a little bit but not nothing and that has been she she had emotional breakdown the other night just hysterical they had a play date with a friend who's in their pod 
um, came over and like hung out and they would play. And then he left and it was just like, she just like lost it. She just, you know, I think she just hadn't socialized in so long. Um, and you know, there's just so many feelings and you're going through that time where you're just like trying to figure out who you are and you want to know other kids and you're kind of, you show off a little bit and you're, you know, there's just so many emotions. And I mean, and that's them. And they're pretty stable, you yeah. know? I mean, and, and pretty well off that like parents can work from home. You guys are engaged. We've been paying for a, a tutor basically for like this pod. They are doing enrichment activities. They're doing their Zoom. They're actually, do, we're, you know, making sure that they're doing their work for the most part, like as much as we can. Yeah. We're trying to like, you know, do the best we can do. Um, so I, I cannot imagine what it's going to be like for the country. The, I, and I say this, every week that we are in like this is an unprecedented mental health crisis that this and we were already in a mental health crisis in this country before right. the pandemic right that was sort of like in the shadows not really talked about that much people don't want to talk about mental health in this country and and this is going to expose like once the kids start going back to school and and we start seeing studies on the reports of of you know all the trauma and all of this all this stuff i mean this whole generation of kids is going to be yeah um I don't know. We don't know. We don't even know what it's going to be. So it's yeah. it's not easy. I do feel fortunate that like for the most, I mean, I feel fortunate that they are in elementary school. I think if you had a kid who was in middle school, a high school kid, a college kid, um, I think it would be a lot worse, a lot yeah. worse. And I think they'll, they'll be okay. You know, they'll still be able to make it up. They'll be in fifth grade next year. They're both going to go to sleepaway camp this summer and like spend full time without parents, kids, activities. I think that's going to be like really good for them. Yeah. Probably overwhelming, but really good. Um, and they're resilient because they're young. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I know a lot of kids who are not, who are older kids, high school kids um, and younger kids, just super struggling. A lot of kids, a lot of the younger kids, like I mean, if you had a kid who was starting kindergarten, which you might know, I don't know. Did, yeah, close. They're like pre TK. There's like okay. nine, there's like nine years of school before you get to first grade now. Yeah, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. even know. It's like, yeah, but can you imagine if, if, if Gabriel was starting kindergarten during the pandemic, right? Like this, this last fall, yeah, Zoom kindergarten. Yeah, no chance. No Are you chance. kidding me? I could barely get him to watch like his favorite cartoon right. for more than 12 minutes. Right, right. Um, yeah. And, and you know, you mentioned the high school kids. Uh, you know, I have a, a yeah. son, Jonathan, who's 19. You know, so he missed all of his senior year right. of high school. So right. none of the none of the prom, none of the homecoming, none of the fun like coming of age stuff, you know, having sex in the backseat of your dad's van, you know, at prom or whatever. Like none of that should happen. Well, maybe he had sex in the backseat of his mom's van. I don't know. Um, but Probably not because of COVID. Probably not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, like all of that stuff's gone. On. And so I'm really worried that to your point, those 11th, 12th graders, you know, you're going to have a generation of people that are are maybe in a good spot because they have me as a dad or you as a mom who just there's like a little bit of a failure to launch because yes. they lost that momentum of like high school to college yes. to job. Yes. Uh, although Jonathan's working his ass off at like a Whole Foods type uh, grocery store. So I'm very proud of him. Um, and then, you know, let's say the people that aren't as well off, right. um, you know, Shaquille O'Neal was talking the other day and he got a lot of flack for this because he He's like, hey, we're letting down minority students like a million, a million was he was pulling from some study. A million black students have just disappeared they off of Zoom and, 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 yeah. and they're and yeah. they're probably like they're just displaced. They're probably not coming back to school. And so he was talking, you know, and I, I thought it was pretty bold of him to step up. He's like, hey, in 10 years when we can't figure out why there's there's whole lost generation yep. of kids. Yep. This, I, is the I, this is the reason because, yeah. you know, we've just 
And so this is an epic task that we have to, we like, we need smart people thinking about this, getting ready to do studies on this, getting ready to do multi-decade long studies on this, figuring out what are the best solutions. I mean, we need smart people to like, you know, to take, to, to, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I don't have the answers. I don't right. know what it's going to take. I feel like Biden at least understands that that is what's happening. That is, you know, and, and has like the forethought to like, you know, try to do whatever he can do and his power to like, you know, whatever. I don't know. Try to figure out what to do. Well, we are going to need to invest in mental health is really what we're going to do. Like mm -hmm. the whole country needs to invest in mental health for yeah. kids, adults. We need to provide jobs. So many people are out of jobs. Like all of this is about like the whole fabric of our society. Like, because yeah, this is, it's like a war, right? It's like when you think about where we're, you know, your grandfather in World War II went overseas and came back or Vietnam went overseas to Vietnam, came back and was like traumatized for like, that's what this is. That's what this is. It's like a wartime kind of, you know, post-war, yeah. post-COVID yeah. you know, thing. And at least soldiers signed up for it. They had some training. They kind of knew what to expect. Some of them, did, some of them were drafted. <laughs> yeah. Our 12 year olds, 10 year olds, right. nine year olds, 18 year olds, they didn't know what they were right. signing and up the for. And the teachers and the nurses and the doctors. And, you know, I mean, this is like, these are frontline people who, you know, are, are, forever affected and are, you know, and it's that it is what it is. It's not like, it's not a war, right? This is not something that, I mean, could we have done a better job of trying to prevent it? Absolutely. Were there scientists and smart people who have been predicting this for a long time? Yes. A hundred percent. But Sometimes bad things happen in modern yeah. society. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, what I, what I do appreciate, and you know, even though I would probably disagree with a lot of the buzzwords you brought up, what I do appreciate about progressives um, is that they are much better as a political group of identifying problems, right? And there's plenty of things that I agree with on the left and plenty of things I agree with on the right, but I think more people having good conversations like this and realizing like, kind of giving the devil your due, right? If, if you're like a hardcore conservative, you have to accept the fact that like progressives are better at pointing out institutional problems. And if you're a progressive, maybe you need to be better at recognizing something about conservatives that are that are beneficial. And I, I hope like we can what? move. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Just kidding. Now we're gonna get into a fight. <laughs> um, but I, I hope that we can move to a little bit more of a center a center ground um, where there's at least, at least better conversation. Cause it's just, it's been very ugly for no, like 10 been, years. It's been very ugly. I see that, I mean, on the Facebook stuff, people, you know, and a lot of people in your social network are very conser conservative and, you know, and it's also, it's the other thing I think that has made a huge influence on this sort of divide is like the divide in where people get their media, right? Like, you know, I have, John's watching MSNBC as we speak. I'm going to get in my 24 seven, turn it on serious X. I mean, 24 seven. And, and, and for me to say that I am not influenced by that is total bullshit. Right. I am totally brainwashed by it. hundred percent. And I admit that. Um, and I tried to look at it critically. Like I'll watch Rachel Maddow at night and try to be like, Oh, you know, right. she's so biased. You know, like I just try to, but I, I, you know, of course, like anybody you want to have like, you know, confirmation, I have confirmation bias. Wait, no, is that the truth? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and, and, but, it's it's when when one side seems to try to cover when one side is lying and telling things that are not true and the other side is telling all of you know is telling like true things but in a biased way i mean look it's not perfect 
I mean, if we could go back to the days of Walter Cronkite, maybe we would all be in a better place. I think we're way past that now, and I just don't think it's Yeah, possible. genie's out of the bottle. It's out of the bottle. Um, and a lot of countries have had media like this for a long time, conservative media and liberal media. But the problem is we've been living under this, like, you know, just lies, like this lie that Donald, that Donald Trump won the election, that it was a fraud. Like, that's just a straight-up lie. Yeah. He didn't win. It wasn't widespread fraud and millions, hundreds of millions of Americans just believe it. And so like somehow, I, this is why I think the greatest challenge is going to be like the, the public relations and like communications, uh, like, you know, industry or whatever, and trying to like get the messages out about truth, about science, about, you know, these things, the difference between, and not in a biased way, like conservatives need to get, this is what the Lincoln Project is doing, right? They're like, we're going to, this is the truth. They're not telling you the truth. And, you know, I mean, they're becoming like, hundred percent, but they started out being more like, we're going to stand up for the truth because there's nothing about Republicanism that says we should be liars. Right. Um, so I don't know. That's, that's the, that's another challenge that I don't, I mean, I don't see that. One of the things that I, and I don't know, oh, one of the things that I think is the best uh, way that I can think to like sort of solve a lot of these societal issues and, you know, divides is to have, um, like when people, when we used to have a draft in this country, right? Like even when my dad was younger, you know, he had to try to avoid the draft to Vietnam, but he joined the army reserves and he had to go to boot camp in wherever Georgia. And, you know, you're with all kinds of people people of all different places, you're all, and you know this, you're just thrown in with them, people from all different, you know, places, backgrounds, colors, what religions, and you're all doing the same thing because you're in the army and, um, and, and you're exposed to people, right? You're, ex you, you start to see the humanity and all the different people yeah. outside of your own bubble from the community that you grew up in. So if, and I, I'm not, I'm not saying we need to have a draft, but I think if we could have some, and Israel has this, or we could have some kind of program in this country where, for example, kids graduating high school have to do like a year of some sort of public service. And maybe that means teaching in a school. Maybe that means joining the army, the park service, right. uh, you know, working at a, uh, whatever it is, whatever right. you want to do, right? Like this is a way for you to get experience doing something, being exposed to different people, having like training, um, and mixing people up. Yeah. We got to mix people up in this country because Everyone is so, especially now, yeah. so in our bubbles, in our communities, we only see the faces around us. And if those are only white faces, if those are only black faces, we, we're not, we don't, we're not really seeing, we can't walk in each other's shoes because we have no, all we know is from, you know, TV and YouTube and whatever. Um, you need to actively kind of like stir up the, the melting pot. And, yeah. and that's, that's the only thing I can see. And I, I don't know, you know, I think it would be beneficial in so many ways, right? Like you could have training programs, you could have, um, you could help communities, you could, um, you know, it would encourage public service, people to go into public service as, as like an actual career, like in a positive way, they would get paid, right? Like this would be a paid thing. Um, and then you decide after that, if you want to go to college. Um, and what you want to do after that and meeting different people. I mean, this is, this is a way to kind of create more opportunity. And I remember like Clinton talking about this at one time and the, the people have talked about it, like a mandatory public service kind of thing, but you know, it's, it's, it's hard to take root because that and thing.
That's what socialists do. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's kind of scary to me. If you look at the companies that have had the biggest growth over the last year, it's like, okay, Peloton, of which I bought one. There's a Peloton treadmill over there. So that means if I work out at home, I can pick the instructor that looks just like me. Yep. I never have to go to the gym. I never have to interact right. in the locker room with somebody who's poorer than me or richer than me or looks right. different than me, right? right? Then you look at Facebook skyrocketing valuation. Cool. Facebook's all about putting you in your echo chamber yep. and confirmation yep. bias. And then you look at Apple and Apple's like, oh, I'm going to completely distract you from the real world yep. and put you on your phone 24-7. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. it's crazy. It's crazy. that. And what's funny is I think it affects wealthier people more than socioeconomically challenged people because you can basically, as you mentioned, you know, Amazon Prime and everything, you can opt in into your own bubble and be completely taken care of yep. now. Yep. And that's that's really scary. Cause I, I remember, you know, I was in Fort Riley, Kansas um, when I was in the army from 97 to 2000. And I honestly, truly cannot remember all but like one incident that kind of fired up because of any type of racial tension. And on my floor, it was like 50% black, 50% white. Well, not exactly 50-50, but every ethnicity was right, there. Right. And nobody gave a shit. Right. It was just like, we're all going to drink together. We're all going to get in trouble together. Right. Lots of trouble together. Um, but uh, no, nobody cared. And I, I just, I feel like it's gotten hypersensitive over the last, you know, call it 10 years. Or maybe to your point, this is just you're getting older and wiser. And it's right. like, get off my grass. You know, yeah. generation thinks the world is going to shit in a handbasket. So. I don't know. I try to talk about this with my mom all the time. You know, she's in her 70s. And she'll be like, well, you know, I mean, I did live through like an Amor and the Nixon years. And she's like, things were pretty shitty. Right. Then. And people yeah. didn't trust the government and they didn't trust the media. And so, but she said, nothing's ever like, she's like, I've not seen anything like Trump and any, you know, that is on another level, but it's not like we can't, we have experienced these types of things before. It's yeah. just, I think it's the technology and the social media that are, you know, putting people into these boxes and then and regurgitating the same messages over and over and over. Right. And I, I'm a victim of it too. So are you. So Everybody. Is. Everybody. My kids are, you know, like they watch Minecraft videos and then all they see are Minecraft videos. And it's like, you know, these people that they think are their friends who are these like assholes making a million dollars on YouTube. <laughs> right. Playing Minecraft. I don't even know what they're watching. I should probably be more observant. But anyway, <laughs> like it, it's, it's. That is another thing. I mean, that's another thing Elizabeth Warren has talked about too, about like regulating these industries so that we can, you know, government has to step in at some point if if, if corporations aren't going to. Um, and like, even like this stuff, you know, that's happening in Georgia with the election and corporations are not, or not with, the, you know, with voting rights and corporations now stepping in and going against it. And, you know, I mean, unless that happens on a large scale that actually influences politics, um, we have to have regulations. Like yeah. you can't just always rely on corporations to make the best decisions and to, to like, you know, so I don't know. It, it does bother me that corporations are wading into the political fray it, it, so much. Like, like exactly. I don't, I don't want That's the clothes. Because government isn't doing it. And so it's like, they feel pressure from their customers. Yeah. And but, but it's like, I don't, I don't want to wear, I wear Viore workout clothes. Great brand, by the way. I don't want to wear them because they align with my political values. Right. Like I don't want to wear a pair of tennis shoes. Or not shoes wear them. Or not wear them. I've got, I've got 80 pairs of Nikes over there. I don't want to have to burn them because they don't align with my political values. I cannot tell you or, how many i'm on a lot of like mom's facebook groups and um you know there's a lot of like brands that kind of like uh you know are popular among the worthy still a mom set right um and and there's been a lot of lately like 
certain people calling out brands for doing X, Y, and Z or saying that they're <sighs> sustainable and that they're not sustainable. And, you know, maybe we should cancel, you know, a lot of like canceling of things. Right. Um, that really affect people's businesses, like right. hardcore affect their businesses. Yeah. Um, or, you know, racism at Everlane and canceling them and then people speaking out. And and I get it. I get people wanting to to share their voices and speak out. Um, but no one's fucking perfect. And like right. people, this is these are opportunities for people to do better, not to like throw them under the bus and like crush and destroy their lives. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I say that about certain things. Some people are assholes and probably deserve to be canceled because they ne- they're never going to change. And that's, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, we, we are getting into a weird space in this country where it's like, you know, everybody's a brand, everybody's preferences and, um, you know, what you buy and what you how you live are representative of your personal brand. Right. And you're constantly having to, like navigate that in terms of like other people like as like in some sort of like performative way like right. people are watching you well you buy oh you bought that oh that means you or you're you're friends with that person that person's anti-vax yeah. you know cancel cancel and it's like you know i mean i mean what a horrible life right i could find a reason to cancel every person in my life and anyone of who owns a business in. like you or i it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. It could be terrifying. Somebody yeah. writes something about you on Yelp, you're you're over. Your yeah. income's over. And I, I have empathy for that. You know, I once got a really bad Yelp review and it like killed me for a year. It killed my yeah. business. I was like despondent. Um, got it taken off because she was correct. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's, it, we can't have a society like this. We need to have more conversations and we need to, instead of canceling people, create opportunities for people to learn because what ends up happening is that then people get angry this I'm being canceled. And so now I'm going to go even further. I'm going to double down. Right, right. I'm going to find my people on the internet and my people in my community who are just like me, who hate that. And we're going to start our own thing. And that's, you know, yeah. Censoring, censoring never works because it just moves people more and more to the fringes. Right. Yeah. If, if you tell exactly. somebody, if you tell somebody they can't talk to the public, then they talk to their friends. And then if you tell people they can't talk to their friends, then they talk to the crazies. Yeah. And once people start talking to the crazies, it's all downhill from yeah. there. But um, the problem is, is that social media and media in general, it's hard to combat lies because they just get spread so quickly and it's so easy. It's so easy. And it's so easy to discount truth. Um, it's almost like a losing battle. It's like an ocean wave. Just you're trying to push it back. You're like building a retaining wall against the ocean. It's like people don't want to, you know, this is the, this is the challenge of our kid generation. I feel like. Yeah. Well, people like us can set the, people like us can set the (laughs) example by keep having good conversations. And I am going, I am going to talk John into coming in here and doing a joint interview. Yeah. He's got, he's got to come. He's a big talker though. Well, he is. I can get him to talk. We'll talk about, we'll start with the Milwaukee bucks. We'll move, we'll move into some Trumpisms and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll really get heated. The thing about John is that he's not, uh, very aggressively, I mean, you know, I love him, but he's aggressive with his, um, he's not as open to like 
listening to the other side, but maybe he would be on a one-on-one. On Facebook, it's very easy to get like- Oh yeah, I get triggered on Facebook. Like I'm a, yeah. I just, I, I'm a sociopath on Facebook, yeah. which is really sad. So we gotta have, um, I have to get John on. We'll talk to him. We'll, we'll be nice for an hour, talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, and then we'll go hard to the paint. Um, but Allison, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I want to fun. have you, I want to have you back on because it's important. You know, my, my subset of friends that will come out in person are definitely more right-leaning yes. libertarian. So I want to hear the other side of the spectrum because it's important to understand what other people are thinking, whether we agree or disagree. And so yes. I just want to say thanks for making the drive all the way up here. Thank you. It was fun. It actually did not take me very long. It took me 40 minutes. So. Perfect. Yes. We yes. need more good people out in Santa Clarita Valley. You can get a lot of house up here for the money. I know. I know. Ugh. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.